Hey, good morning, One Hope. So good to have you guys back with us on a, on a special day, Father's Day today. Um, I'd like to just take a little moment to thank my dad personally for his investment in my life. Um, I think other than my dad, there's been so many other men who've played that pivotal father role in my life as well. And then ultimately, God the Father, who is our example of how we try to father our earthly kids. Um, I've got five children, and as we are parenting them, and I'm trying to father them the best way I know how. I've come to realize the sacrifice and the, just the real selflessness that my parents had in pouring out lives for us. And um, I think we only realize these things a little bit in hindsight. So I want to say to the fathers that are watching this morning, well done. Keep going. Um, keep pouring out your life. Keep looking to the Father as our example of how to parent our children. This morning we're going to carry on with our series that we were talking about last week. God, do you really have a plan for my life? I find this topic is um, often seems very confusing and seems like a lot of people are very mystified around it. And there's a lot of ideas that are quite mystical around how we hear the voice of God or, or that God has is, is hidden it very well and we've got to go and dig for it and find it. And I just, I want to say that I find most of these ideas very unbiblical and actually just really unhelpful because I think that God has clearly laid out for us in scripture what it is that his will is for our lives. And so we don't need to come to these notions of uh, uh, sometimes there's this, this idea that only very super spiritual people are going to hear the word of God for their lives. And so for the ordinary Christian, it's just a step beyond where they're ever going to get to. And so they may as well not even try to understand the, the will of God for their lives. Or another way that I, I see people processing this is that they're going to wait until there's a dramatic sign from heaven, an airplane across the sky saying, Paul, you should go to China as a missionary. And until we have that kind of dramatic sign, we're not really going anywhere. And, and I don't see that, that in Scripture, certainly not in New Testament Scripture, where the Holy Spirit was given to guide us and as a counselor. And we no longer have to use signs. Did the robot turn red? Did the robot turn green? Um, should I carry on with my studies or not? You know, and, and we leave it to sort of a random throwing of the dice. Um, or I see people paralyzed with a kind of tightrope idea, like we, we have to stay so within the will of God that we've got to fast and pray for the smallest decisions and we have no leeway because if we fall off this tightrope, which is the perfect will of God for our lives, then we're going to tumble down to our death in a purposeless, meaningless life because we missed it that one time five years ago and we shouldn't have changed jobs and we did. And I think that all of these are unbiblical ideas and unhelpful ideas as we come to actually see the clear expressed word of God where he says multiple times in his word, this is my will for you. If only you would read it. This is what I planned for you. And so I want to encourage you this morning. I'm going, to, I'm going to go quickly through a lot of little scriptures. So I want to encourage you to get a notebook, get a pen, write them down, go back and study them, go back and, and check what I'm saying. Go and say, God, is this your will for my life? And I'm going to go through those as helpfully as I can. And there's seven areas that I believe scripture clearly teaches us is God's will for every person on earth's life. So here we go. As we do that, I'm going to pray for us. Father, 
Thank you that you didn't just call us servants, but that you call us sons and daughters. That you've adopted us, that you've made us your own. Thank you that as we come today, we don't come in a cowering sort of way, but that we can come and say, God, open your word to us. We're your sons and your daughters. We want to know what it is that you've, you, our good father, have laid up for us. How you want us to live our lives and that as a good father you don't hide that from us you give us these gifts that we can know and we can follow you with certainty and confidence and assurance in our hearts as you challenge us from your word today would you help us to live these things in the name of Jesus amen so the first thing that I want to speak to I'm going to do it very briefly because I spoke to this extensively last week is the first thing that God has called us to is to be saved it's to salvation. He couldn't say it any clearer. This is capital the plan, the plan for our lives. Look at it here in John chapter 6, verse 40. Jesus speaking, and he says, For this is the will of my Father. Could he be any clearer? Do you want to know what the will of God is for your life? This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Or we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we read in verse 3, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires, or whose plan is, or His will, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is what we've been speaking about in Acts chapter 2 over the last three weeks. That God would, would, would the moon would be turned to blood and there would be these apocalyptic things. Why? Because it shall come to pass, the prophet Joel was prophesying, it will come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. This is God's heart, not God's will that I should perish. It's not God's will that I should face his wrath and his judgment. It's not God's will that I would go to hell. God's will is that I would come to him and he makes it so, so easy for us to come to him. Guys, these are the criteria. You want to know the criteria if you don't know Jesus. Are you tired? He says, come to me. Are you weary? He says, come, I'll give you rest. He says, are you sick? I didn't come for the well. I'm a doctor and I came for those who are sick. You don't have to sort your life out. Sometimes there's an idea that we have to get things in order before we come to God. Jesus says, man, I came for the weary. I came for the sick. I came for the broken. I came for the hurting. If you fit into those categories, you're welcome. These are the criteria for who can come to Jesus. Don't ever tell me Christianity is an exclusionary religion. It's the most inclusive thing you could ever imagine are you these things come first clear will of God is that we are saved the second is that we're called to live spirit-filled lives let's look at Ephesians chapter 5 and this is what it says it says therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now I want to pause there and I don't want to punch you with this, but I do want to say that scripture seems to make it very clear that if we do not understand the will of God, that we are walking in foolishness. 
Now, the only way that I, I can see why that is not harsh is because God is saying, I've revealed it to you. I've told you what it is. And if you don't want to look at the very obvious will that I've laid out before you, it's foolishness, right? Let's carry on. So this is the will of God. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. In other words, don't live like the world. Don't look like the world. Don't speak like the world. Don't get drunk like the world. This word debauchery, if you go and look at what it means, it, this, these are the synonyms. Degenerate, immodest, indecent perverted have you ever heard drunk people that this would describe what is going on what is coming out of their hearts because what you speak when you're drunk is not something new created by the alcohol it was what was always there in your heart the alcohol just loosens your tongue to say it to reveal what was actually inside of your heart instead this scripture says, no, I don't want you to live like that anymore. I don't want you to speak like that anymore. I don't want you to act like that anymore. Instead, I want you to be controlled, not by alcohol, but by the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit fills you, look at what comes out of your heart. Songs, singing, speaking to one another in hymns, making melody to the Lord with your heart. There's a heart change that comes and God's will for us is that we live not in the worldly, but being filled with his Holy Spirit over and over again. Now, I don't think that that actually means that we go around singing to one another. How are you this morning, brother? Well, I'm so blessed. How are you, brother? I don't, that's not what it's talking about, but it's talking about a spirit fueled change in our hearts that is visible this leads very clearly into number three, which is that we are called in Scripture to be sanctified. Now, let me explain that word straight away, because many of you would have Roman Catholic overtones of saintliness, that it's again just the few who could really achieve that. When Scripture speaks about saints, it's speaking about everyone who has come to know Jesus Christ. We are the saints, not because of what we can achieve but because of what Christ has achieved or done on our behalf. So let's, let's read this and let's, let's look at this text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For this is the will of God. Again, how clear is this, guys? This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. You can see how beautifully linked this is with the one we just spoke about around the Holy Spirit. Live Holy Spirit filled lives. Don't live in the world. And, and he paints a picture here of, of sanctification versus the world. This sanctification is Romans chapter 8 that we've been speaking about for the last few weeks. This is what it says in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That phrase, becoming more and more like Jesus. That is what sanctification means. And Thessalonians says, that's God's will for your life. Romans says, that's God's will for your life. 
Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. He's told you. It's His will. And what does the Lord require of you? What is it that He wants you to do? Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. I hope you're starting to to get this. So we're saved. As we're saved, we can't come to salvation without the Holy Spirit in us, but we walk increasingly in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. We give our control of our lives over to the Spirit. We say, we don't want to speak like this anymore. We don't want to drink like this anymore. We don't want to be perverted like this anymore. We don't want sexual immorality like we used to have and was just normal. No, we want to, we want to fulfill the will of God, which is to live with the Spirit inside of us. And He produces all these different beautiful things coming out of our hearts He changes our hearts, not just our behavior. And the will of God is that we are sanctified, becoming more and more like Jesus. We are called to be saved. We're called to be spirit-filled. We're called to be sanctified. The fourth thing is that we've spoken about over the the last few weeks quite extensively is that we're called to suffer. This is a crazy one, but 1 Peter 3 verse 17 says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And then Peter again in 1 Peter 4 verse 19 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, what this Peter text seems to indicate is, man, you're going to suffer either way. You might suffer for doing evil and you're going to face the wrath of God or you might face the discipline of God even while you're on this earth. And remember again here, just a little caveat, the heart of God here is not, I want to make you suffer. The heart of God is, no, my will is that you come back to me. So that's his discipline. But Peter's saying you might suffer even while you are doing good. And that's a good way to suffer. That's part of according to God's will is the way that he says it in 1 Peter 4. While we are following the purpose and plan of God for our lives, we suffer. But the experience is completely different to when we suffer because of our evil. When we suffer in the will of God, while we are doing good, we are suffering, as it says here, with our souls entrusted to a faithful creator while doing good. So it brings meaning and purpose into our lives. We aren't suffering for suffering's sake. We're suffering because we have a Savior who loves us and who is bringing meaning and significance and purpose even into our pain. He's not the paramedic that we spoke about two weeks ago, smoking on the side of our car wreck while we bleed out. No, He's a God bringing meaning to our suffering. But it's, it's very clear That this is an area that says this is God's will for your life, Christian. Number five, we're called to service. We're called to service. This is how Hebrews chapter 13 says it. May the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do His will. It's remarkable in how many of these scriptures the language is doing. If we go back to the Thessalonians text, the Peter text, doing good. 
while doing good. This is what I require of you, to do justice. There's so, so much of this. It's clear from Scripture that God is calling us to outwork our lives in service for His kingdom. This is what Ephesians 2 says. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why were you created? Why are you here? What's your purpose? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I think most of us, when we think, God, I want to serve you with my life. I want my life to be full of purpose for you. I want it to be used for your glory. Show me what it is you want me to do. I think mostly we're talking about this number five, called to service. Called to service. The sixth area that scripture makes so clear that we are called to follow God and to his will for our lives is this call to surrender. A call to surrender our will to his. And again, one of my favorite texts here, Luke chapter 22 and verse 42. Again, we will hold up Jesus as the great example to follow. We do this because Jesus has done this. And this is what it says, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Jesus speaking, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in every believer's life is this beating heart of Jesus Christ that we surrender our plans our will, what it is that we want our lives to look like or the kind of dreams we have for our lives. And we say, Father, not my will, but yours. You are calling me to surrender. You're calling me to deny myself, to pick up my cross, which is the metaphor of be like Jesus and say, not my will, but your will be done. And the last area that I want to touch on is this area of called to give thanks. If you want to keep all the S's, called to say thanks or to give thanks to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the will of God for you. So we're asking that question, what is it that God wants us to do with our lives and I believe scripture speaks so clearly that we are to live saved saved by God that as we are saved we are filled continually with the Holy Spirit that teaches us to turn our back on the ungodly practices that we had and instead to let instead of this unwholesome language come out of our mouths as would while we were drunk instead we're controlled by the spirit and out of our mouths out of our hearts come beauty and singing and joy and happiness towards one another and towards God then we're sanctified that spirit is at work to make us be conformed to be more and more like Jesus while that's going on we have sufferings going on in our lives but we realize that that God is using those to bring perfection in our lives all the while we're learning to serve him he's called us to service within his kingdom it's not meaningless our lives are full of purpose our careers are full of purpose we're serving our king and still we are learning to surrender to him and saying, God, 
not my will. I don't want to just do my favorite area of service. If you're calling me to something else, I want to say not my will, but your will. God, if you don't want me to pursue this career anymore and you want me to pursue this career, I want to surrender and say not my will, but yours. And in all of those things and over all of those things, we're learning that in every circumstance, no matter what's happening, whether we're having suffering going on in our lives or whether God is sanctifying us and it's discipline and it feels hard or whether we're serving in an area that's just tough for us to serve. But we know that God is wanting us to be doing that for this season in our lives. We're learning to say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. Do you begin to see what this life could look like? Do you begin to see how dangerous it is to approach God with a kind of self-actualizing idea of God, give me my best life now. Tell me the, the blueprint you want for me to do my life. But really the motive of that is not this at all. It's not saying, God, I want to be part of this, this general will for my life. I want you to sanctify me. I want to be full of, of serving you. I want to be full of your spirit. I want to be surrendered to you. Instead, it's more like, God, I really want to know what my spiritual gift is so I can exercise it. So everyone can see how great I am in that. God, I want my life to count for something in a physical way. So I want the self-actualization or this individualistic kind of worldview. And that's so often colors our view of what it is that God has called us to. Now allow me from these seven things to just make two points of application before we close. The first one is this. I want you to imagine with me or, or think with me for a moment about a Christian who lives like this, whose life would be characterized by these seven things that we've spoken about. I want you to really Think about a person who says, God, I understand this. I understand that this is the plan for my life. And I want to pursue it with all my heart. I want to refocus my life. I've been so fixated on what, what you want me to do in an individualistic, superficial level that I've, I haven't seen this, God. I haven't seen that you actually are so busy sanctifying me and, and you want to fill me with your spirit again and again, etc., etc., and I want to pursue that. I want to focus on that. I want to prioritize that. What would happen in that person's life? What would happen in that person's life? Well, let me tell you the one thing I know for sure that would happen. Their desires would be completely changed. The things that they thought that they wanted to do with their life might be completely changed. The things that they thought they wanted to spend their money on will be completely changed. The things that they thought were so valuable and so worth their time and their energy and their effort. Maybe it's like your career and you're a workaholic. Or maybe it's football and you just give your time, so much time to that career or that, that um, hobby or whatever it may be. And God comes and He says, you know what, that's not actually so important. I want to change your desires. I want to shift your focus to something else. And what we've plan for our lives and what our purposes for our own lives are suddenly gets dramatically shifted. Now, let me, let me speak clearly here in saying that I believe that many Christians, many of, of you watching today are not walking in the purposes that God has for your life as laid out in Scripture. 
I want to say that graciously, but I also want to say that strongly because it's a challenge to us that God's word clearly lays out how he wants us to live. But I think many are reluctant to live like this because it's difficult and it's not nearly as cool as just waiting for God to give us a sign or this big glorious calling that we want him to give us over our individualistic selves that we're going to say, yes, God, I'm going to serve you. I want to be Mother Teresa. I want to be Billy Graham. But God says, no, no, I want you to be saved. I want you to be spirit filled. I want to sanctify you. I want you to embrace suffering for my sake. I want you to surrender your life again and again and again. I want you to serve me where I want you to serve me. And I want you in all of these things to be learning to give thanks. And I think many of us say, whoa, not so sure I want that. Let me read you a scripture out of Psalm 37 and verse 4. And this is what the psalmist says. He says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, how, how could it be that God could make that promise over our lives? It's a bold promise. Delight yourself in God and I will give you the desires of your heart. Man, and how this scripture has been twisted. But this is what it's saying. When you delight yourself in in God, the desires of your heart will be completely changed. So much so that God is safe to say, I'll give you whatever you want, whatever desires you want in your heart, if you have delighted yourself in me. Because I know that when you delight yourself in me, the desires of your heart are profoundly changed and you begin to desire what. I desire, says God. And so I know that I can give you those desires. I know that I can give you all of those desires because you now have closer and closer to my heart beating inside of you. This leads to my my second major application from what we've been looking at this morning. And that is to ask the question, if God revealed his will to you would you do it would you do it now i'm not convinced that the issue is that we don't know what god wants us to do like i've already said i think that the the primary issue is that we don't like what god has called us to do it's not nearly fancy enough or exciting enough or self-actualizing enough man it's just It's like sanctification and suffering and thankfulness. I mean, come on. And I think that we just don't want to do the will of God. Because guys, the truth is, when I ask the question, if God reveals his will to you, would you be prepared to do it? The the truth is that God has revealed his will to us. But everywhere that we look, we see millions of Christians unwilling to do What it is that God has put before us clearly, as I hope I've demonstrated from the word of God this morning. See, there's a very big difference between agreement and obedience. And I think we need to start talking about this more and more in our circles. Because many of us agree with our leaders 
or we agree with our parents and we think that that constitutes obedience. Let me tell you how you know the difference. When a leader asks you to do a godly thing and you don't want to do that thing or you refuse to be disciplined in that thing, what you are doing in that moment is you've reached the end of your agreement. You say, I no longer agree with what you say to me. Now, Scripture teaches that if the leader is a godly leader and asking us to do something that is in God's word or discipline us in a way that is in God's word, that we should obey that leader. I see that happening very, very few times. Most people, when you reach the end of agreement, don't cross over into obedience because obedience now says, I disagree with you, but I'm still going to do what you're saying I should do. That's obedience. That's the difference, right? And most people at that point just say, I'm off. I'm going to another church. Thanks so much for playing. We see this with parenting and we see this with God. That while we say, God, show me the plan for my life. Oh, I like that. I like, oh, I really like that. And, and or God, if you don't show me the whole plan, I'm not really going to start. But that's agreement. It's not obedience. Obedience is God. This, this is not what I had in mind, but not my will, but yours. Surrender. Not my will, but your will be done. I hope this has challenged you. I hope it's come across with grace. I really want to help us practically to outwork the, the call of God in our lives. Let me pray as we close this morning. Father, Lord, I know that even just in preparing this, I've been so personally challenged. And I ask that this wouldn't overwhelm us, that it would spur us on to saying, God, I want to not just hear your words. I want to do them. I don't want to just find your will for my life. It, it seems like you've clearly laid it out. I want to do it. I want to walk in it. I want it to be an increasing experience of my life that I can say you are sanctifying me. You are filling me with your spirit. I am learning to work in your kingdom, to serve in your kingdom and so on. Father, thank you for this reminder from your word. Thank you that your word speaks powerfully into our hearts. These are not the thoughts of men. These are God's thoughts. I want to praise you and thank you for another Sunday together. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. God bless you this week. Have a wonderful time as you think about these things. I pray that you would wrestle with them, pray over them, dig into God's word, see if what I'm saying is right. And we'll see you again next week to carry on this conversation and this journey around God's plan and purpose for our lives.